It was for one minute that I saw him, but the hair stood upon my head like quills. Sir, if that was my master, why had he a mask upon his face? Robert Louis Stevenson, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee Esses. We have finished the first half of this month, which was putting arrows in your quiver for foreshadowing and the different types that you can use and integrate. Now we're talking about plot-wide tropes that rely heavily on foreshadowing. These types of stories that you're going to see a lot of foreshadowing in, and each of them handles it in a unique way. That's going to be the second half of the month. We've done episodes before about the unreliable narrator. And today's topic really goes hand in hand with that. And that is a character who, throughout the source of the story, is slowly losing their mind. These Descent into Madness type stories are some of my favorites. They're a lot of fun because you get to, as an author, delve into the darker sides and the more insane and creative sides of the story. Your hero doesn't have to be good because they're losing their mind. You really have to have refined your foreshadowing for this to be an effective tool. Because there has to be hints throughout the entire story that that reveal that it was him all along and he just didn't know it is not just a sudden plot twist. There has to be that breadcrumb trail like we talked about earlier this month leading to that outcome. And just a heads up, there will be spoilers in this episode. You can't really talk about this without giving examples and without spoiling the ends of the story of those examples. So ones that you may be familiar with would be such as the quote we used at the beginning, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, where Mr. Hyde is Dr. Jekyll. In the book and the movie Fight Club, it turns out that this character who is conversing with the hero is actually a figment of his imagination. In Frankenstein, you do see Dr. Frankenstein, Victor Frankenstein, slowly losing his mind through the course of the story because of the monster that he created. Ted Decker's book three, which is about a serial killer that is haunting the hero. And it turns out that the hero has split personalities and he's being haunted by himself. And other things like yellow wallpaper or the more modern Moon Knight have this same kind of trope throughout it. So the first thing to keep in mind as you're writing the foreshadowing for a story like your hero losing their mind is what to place when. The first act is treated very differently than the final act when you're setting up this foreshadowing versus when it's paying off and in the middle of how you hint without spoiling it for your readers. Because really, we need to think that the character is normal, that they are sane, and that they are truly, honestly trying to figure out what is happening. We don't need to know that they are an unreliable narrator until later. So things that might happen in that first third of the book would be things like another character tells them, no, this is what happened. And we're agreeing with the hero, this guy is wrong. You also want to have some sort of mention about the monster within. But this needs to be in a passing way. A brief mention that really isn't dwelled on, isn't considered. 
but it is a little hint that maybe, just maybe, the problem is with the main character. This monster within can be something as complex as the person has split personalities, or it can be something as simple as they're an alcoholic. So when they're prescribed this new medication, then all of a sudden that's the catalyst for the story. Mentioning in a passing way, she's having a bottle of wine after dinner every night. This monster within is the key that has to be mentioned in that first act. In the second act, we need to start recognizing those things that shouldn't be possible. Things that don't line up quite right with the narrator's story. They, as well as the reader, are being faced more and more with the truth of things, but they still don't want to see it. So they instead view it as, that is impossible, there has to be a different explanation. The guy that lives across the street, I saw him put his wife's body into the trunk. Why is his wife witnessed at church book club after that? That's not possible. Something is wrong. The husband is hiring a lookalike. And these explanations of the impossible get more and more off the rails the farther you get into the story. The example that I brought up in our discussion a while back about the unreliable narrator, the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window, the satire version of this trope, is a really good way to represent this because in the beginning we see this guy and he is fixing this mailbox. And then we keep seeing him fixing the same mailbox. And so in that second part of the movie, we're like, this is very different. This is not what should be happening. Why is this guy fixing this mailbox still? It is that things are starting to look weird. And whether we recognize it or the character is recognizing it as something weird, it is always creating a conflict in what the character is experiencing and how they view the world. By the end of the story, readers have to be trusting anyone except the hero more than they trust the hero. We're trusting the surveillance video that they thought was wrong in the middle. We're trusting everything else except for the main character who is grasping at straws to prove to themselves and everyone around them that they are still sane which is generally a good indicator that you're not. And this is a really good moment for you to call back to those moments in the first act of the book where other characters brought up contradictory events that your readers then should have aligned being on the side of your main character. Now they see it in a different light. It's brought up again and they go, oh, they weren't wrong. This leading character was wrong. This is a fun way to get your audience to experience the reread of the book before the final bit is out. So if you want the audience to remember these specific moments prior to the finale, having a moment of callbacks is great for that third act. If you want to write this kind of story, there are several things that you need to keep in mind as you go through it. First off, you have to make the main character likable and relatable to start. If the readers don't like this character, they're not going to align with them. They're going to believe the sheriff who goes, you're just insane. But if the readers like that character, they are more likely to overlook the problems that come up and say, 
well, of course this character can't be wrong. I like them. And when establishing these things that prove that the main character is actually going insane, it's easy to rely on the insane character. But as a storyteller, you prove that this character is insane with every other character out there, with the witnesses that say, no, she was at the book club. Those other characters are going to be essential for establishing the actual course of events in your story. Throughout the story, they can be saying what actually happened. But if you make that main character likable enough, your readers are going to ignore it and say there is some sort of conspiracy happening. There is something else going on. They're going to align with the main character until that point where the evidence is so overwhelming that it is no longer deniable. Usually when you're writing a novel, the information that a reader takes in dialogue is going to be less reliable than what the character sees and experiences. In this type of story, those are inverted. Not just that we don't trust what the character is experiencing, but we can start to trust dialogue a lot more. Other characters arguing with the hero because those characters are right and the hero is wrong. Also keep in mind that there is often some kind of physical malady that accompanies the descent into madness. That can be alcoholism, insomnia, PTSD, depression, any sort of physical or mental illness driving their descent. In the case of Moon Knight, he had insomnia. And every time he woke up in the morning, he was exhausted because his alternate personality was taking over and he was roaming across the city in the middle of the night. In the same vein, it's very common for the hero to think that this other character is actually a separate human being when it's actually the hero. Be careful how you play that, and if you don't foreshadow it thoroughly and correctly, then it feels like a, it was all a dream, cop-out ending of a story. So make sure you set that foundation early and keep consistent. Let your editor know this person is a figment of his imagination, so we can't have the waitress address him. Overall, telling this kind of story really takes a verbal sleight of hand. You have to be very careful with how you phrase things, how you present them to the audience, which really leans towards literalists and word lawyers. It is one of those times where he didn't say he saw a fire, he smelled something burning. Those are two very different things that in any other story would basically mean the same thing. In a story like this, those are very different and have different connotations for how the story was experienced by the characters. One of my favorite things about this kind of story is that re-experiencing and being able to read it again, knowing the outcome and now being able to see the hints, those little reveals along the way, to be like, oh, I know what's happening. Oh, that was a really cool. And it's a fun way to appreciate the writing. And it's a fun way to write the story for yourself, because you know what's happening, and you get to lay these little bits and pieces along the way. So enjoy every juicy moment of making your character lose their minds. And it works only when you right selfishly if you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on facebook by searching for aspenhouse publishing 